0: You know, I, I love that video. Uh, so many powerful images and the, and the the lyrics and the song and the, that, that refrain in there of when I look into the face I, of my enemy, I see my brother, I see my sister, um, I see a person that Jesus died for, uh, just like he died for me. My name's Scott Blevins. I'm part of the teaching he- team here at Garfield Memorial Church. So good to be worshiping with you today. We are continuing the series, Renaissance of Reconciliation, in which we're exploring the vision that God has given us as Garfield Memorial Church for the next three, five, ten years. And wow, what a vision it is. I'm going to read just a portion of that to you right now. Part of our vision, just just a part of it, we set ourselves to pray, live, hope, and cry for gospel-based reconciliation. May our prayer be that we visibly... We want folks to see this, walk, work, and worship as one. That word one is going to be big for the whole message today. May we so live, love, and laugh that others are drawn to the peace of God. That word drawn to, or that phrase drawn to, is also going to be a big part of what we're talking about today. This this is a big vision. This is one of those God-sized visions that, that if we're just going to work really hard at this, we might as well just stop now because. Is not going to happen. It's not going to happen unless we follow God and God's leading and God empowers it. Um, because this is about not just believing a set of doctrines or reaching numerical growth goals for an organization, this is about living life. This is about living the Christian life and living the Christian life is tough. Now I need to qualify that because that phrase Christian life means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And if you're someone who's been hurt by the church if you're someone who's been hurt by Christians or if you're part of the world at large the the 80 to 90% of people in the world who don't understand or don't care what the church is up to or about, then then that phrase the Christian life is going to have some negative meaning for you. Um, Even even if you've loved the church and grown up in the church, that phrase, the Christian life might mean something different than what I mean by it today. I'm going all the way back to the beginning, as Pastor Chip suggested we do, and go back to that church in Antioch that that, that uh, Chip was preaching about, that that it was in that place, you know, a super diverse city in, in the Roman Empire, where, where there was so much diversity and so much tension because of the diversity, they built walls in the city to keep people apart so they wouldn't accidentally offend each other and start a riot. And, and followers of Jesus went into that city and shared the hope of Jesus. And now suddenly people are, are crossing the boundaries, going on the other side of the walls. People that wouldn't have anything to do with each other for fear and arrogance are now coming together. They're worshiping together. They're eating meals together. They're having conversation together. They're laughing. They're loving. They're walking. They're working. They're crying together. And it was in Antioch, Luke tells us that followers of Jesus were first called Christians. So for the purpose of this sermon, hopefully for the purpose of our life, when we talk about living the Christian life, that's the life we're talking about living, okay? That Antioch kind of Christian life. Multi-ethnic, economically diverse, different languages, customs, traditions, moral rules, social and relational expectations and rules. When you bring folks together with all that diverse it's going to be tough. Yeah. We know it was tough. We know it's tough now. And we know it was tough back then because so much of the New Testament is devoted to people writing letters saying, okay, this is how you do it. I know we don't have a rule book for this. We don't have a playbook. There's no consultants we can hire. We got to figure this thing out together. Here's what's working. And there, this place, here's what's not working. Here's what I think we should try. Just a brief survey. I can't do the entire New Testament, but I want to give you a brief survey. Paul wrote a letter to the church in Corinth. Where he gave them instruction about what kind of food you can eat now that you're gathering together with people that eat different kinds of food. What kind of haircut should you have? What kind of clothes can you wear? What are the gender roles? If if we're all if male and female are all one in Christ Jesus, then then and, and all of our cultural examples and social expectations say men are dominant and superior. How do men and women get along in the church? Paul wrote a letter to the followers of Jesus in Rome, where he had to talk to them about food, what kind of food you can eat, now that different people are getting together. And, 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 and in Rome, you got groups, you've got Jews, you've got Roman Greek folks, and you've got uh, other people that the Jews and the Greeks and the Romans thought of as barbarians, and they all kind of thought they were better than the others, and so the Jews were looking down their noses at the Greeks and the Romans, the Romans Greeks were looking down their noses at the Jews, and they were both getting together looking down their noses at the barbarians. How are they going to walk, work, and worship? together. Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus and in Galatians. I'm sorry, Paul wrote to the church in Galatia about how do we live and follow God now? We have all of these deeply held religious practices from the Jewish tradition, from our heritage. But if we're all one in Christ Jesus, if you don't have to be Jewish to follow Jesus, how are we gonna do this together? Peter wrote about this. How do we work through suffering because we're gonna get persecuted when we live this Christian life? James wrote and he talked about he talked about economic diversity. What do you do in the church when some people are extremely wealthy and some people are extremely poor? And John wrote to seven churches in Revelation, really to all the churches around saying, how are we gonna live in the face of diversity and persecution? and still love each other. How are we gonna do that? How are we going to do that? Lots of attempts have been made over the years. Lots and lots and lots of attempts over the past 2,000 years to work this out. We're going to go back again to the source, to Jesus himself. We have the blessing of the written word. Back when when all of these letters were being written that are now part of the New Testament, um, they didn't have the gospels written out in front of them. So it was all word of mouth. It was oral tradition. It was passed on from person to person. We've got the word written down so it's easier for us to, to notice and remember. And I want to go back through some things, some things that Jesus said to his followers the night before he was crucified. And I'm just do a real quick survey here. And John, maybe you'll pick up a pattern in John chapter 13, right after Jesus washed his disciples feet, he said this to them. And now I give you a new commandment, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. If you love one another, if you have love one for another, then everyone will know that you are my disciples. Okay. Hold on to that. Love one another as I, have loved you then a little bit later in john 15 jesus had this to say my commandment is this love each other as i have loved you is there a pattern here greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends you are my friends if you do what i command and what is jesus commanded love one another love one another Jesus said, I know you've got a lot of rules. I know there's going to be, and, and they didn't know it, his disciples didn't get this yet, but Jesus knew there was going to be this amazing clash of cultures, and ethics, and personalities, and, and, and gender roles, and economics. He knew there was going to be all of this coming together, and he said, let's keep it super simple. My basketball coach used the KISS method, keep it simple, stupid, he used to say. We deserve that too, by the way. Um, Kept it simple, love each other, one commandment, one rule. And then, then Jesus prayed for his disciples. And as he prayed for those who were gathered with them, he shifted in his prayer to pray for all followers of Jesus who would come after. And this is what it says in John 17. My prayer, whoa, oh, I thought that was it. Let's go back to that other one. Maybe. My prayer is not for them alone, not just for those gathered here. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them, you and me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. I got the wrong reference. on. I made that slide. That's John 17, not John 15. Sorry about that, guys. So how are we to do it? How are we to live this Christian life? What do we need to remember? We need to remember this. Whatever else may come, whatever else we do, however we do it, we need to do it together. That's how we live the Christian life. We live it together. Together. Whatever else is happening, whatever else we're doing, however else we're doing it, we need to do it together. You see, one one that Jesus repeats over and over and over again in that prayer. One is not solitary. One is not a singularity. One is community. I always got this wrong growing up and through most of my adult life. I always got this wrong. I went to John chapter 14. Did I get that one in there? John chapter 14, where Jesus is talking and, and talking to his disciples again and Philip interrupts him and says, Jesus, I got a question for you. And Philip, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father. And we will be satisfied. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still don't know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Now, I mashed all this stuff up together. It's all connected. That part was okay. But I took this prayer of Jesus and this love each other, and I am in you like you are in you and me and you and God is in me. And I said to myself, I need to be the type of person, I need to be sanctified by God. I need to pursue sanctification. Nothing wrong with that. We're called to be sanctified, made holy, more and more like Jesus. But I need to become so much sanctified that when people see me, they see Jesus who was in me and then see God who is in Jesus so that when they encounter me, they encounter God. That's a beautiful vision. Beautiful vision for the Christian life. There's one small problem with it. It's insane, okay? It's crazy. It's nuts. It's bonkers. I'm too small. I'm too narrow. I'm far too singular to come anywhere near representing the fullness of Jesus, much less the fullness of God. Think about it this way, okay? Think about it. Anyone here or there got a TV? I got you there, because if you're watching me, you got a TV, or a computer, or a phone, and they all have pixels. Pixels. If you know what I'm talking about, get really, really, really close to your TV set sometime. If you got one of those 4K TVs, you're going to have to get really, really close. I don't even know if you can do this on an 8K. I've never been that close to one. But there are pixels, little tiny squares, on that television screen or on your computer screen, on your phone, little tiny squares. And each one of those squares has a color. And all of those squares together represent the image. Show the image and share the image. I'm a pixel. He's a pixel, she's a pixel. Wouldn't you like to be a pixel too? All right, there you go. Dr. Pepper is caffeinated. Dave, that's my drug reference for the message. All right. We're pixels. I'm a pixel. One pixel cannot, cannot, cannot show the full image. It's only the pixels together. And it's not the pixels doing their own thing together. I'm going to do what I want to do, and uh, heck with all of these other pixels, I'm going to be Jesus. That's just static it's when all of the pixels, they're not uniform either. They're not all showing the same thing. That's just a solid color, and that's not art, unless you're in a really fancy art gallery someplace. I call it blue. You can can buy it for $5 million. That's not art. It's not beauty. It's not the image. It's unity. It's harmony. It's pixels of many, 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 many different colors. Some very different colors. Being and doing what God called them to be and do. And together, they show forth the image of God into the world. Do you see it? Do you see it? It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about us individually doing our best to be like Jesus. It's us together. The body of Christ together The most significant manifestation of God in this world is not through any single Christian or even all Christians collectively. No matter how good the Christian is, whether it's Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. or Mother Teresa or John Wesley or Mary the mother of Jesus or Paul, none of them is good enough individually to show forth the image of God into this world. It's us together. It is in and through the church, the body of Christ, the called out assembly of God's people together, living, laughing, loving, working, crying, together. One. One. There's power in this oneness. Power. First, the power of witness and testimony. We've already talked about that. It is together like pixels in harmony and unity that are showing forth the image of God. That's the witness. That's how people see that Jesus is real. By the way, no matter what you say, if you're one pixel running around by yourself shouting about Jesus, Jesus said that's not how people are going to believe. People aren't going to know that way. No matter how articulate and charismatic you are, it's the church together. That's where the witness is. That's where the testimony is. But there's another piece to this power, and it's the glory of God in all of this. Let's jump back a little bit to John 17 and see this. Uh, I think, yeah, I have given them the glory that you gave me. Wow. Wow. That, sit on that for a second. God has given, Jesus, Jesus has given us... The glory that God gave Jesus. Hold on to that for a second. Don't get arrogant. He didn't say, I've given you the glory that God gave me. He's given all of us the glory that God gave him. That they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know. Amen. Then the world will know when they are in unity. We're going to spend a moment on this word glory. That's the English word for glory. It conjures up a lot of different images. Light, brightness, sun, magnificence, like wah! All, you know, a lot of light images, I think, come along with that word glory in the English language. In the Greek, the word is doxa. And, and that word had to do primarily with opinion. Um, I don't know how quite that worked. I'm not like the great Greek scholar in the world. The Hebrew word, is kavod I'm butchering the pronunciation forgive me and at its root at its root the word in ancient Hebrew kavod referred to weight you might say what does that have to do with glory think about this whose word carries the most weight in your life right in your place of work who carries the most weight I'm carrying more weight every year (laughs) different kind of weight different kind of weight This is that person whose presence matters. When they walk into the room, people stop and they listen to what they have to say. When they're moving through the room, it's like there's a crowd kind of revolving around them because they carry the most weight in the room. People gather around them. They draw people to them. God has... The most glory. God has the most weight. Let's do a little physics. Can we do a little physics? We know that weight is a function of mass. The more mass an object has, the more it weighs. We also know now because of Einstein that weight is relative. That 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 you know what weighs some a certain amount on Earth, if you take it to Jupiter, it'll weigh more. If you take something of the same mass to Mercury, it'll weigh less um, than it does here on Earth. Weight is relative, mass is constant. I don't think they quite had that worked out yet in ancient Hebrew, but think about this. The thing with the most weight, the thing with the most mass has the greatest gravitational pull. Physics tells us that too. The more massive an object is, the more it distorts space-time around it, the more it draws other objects to itself. The sun is the most massive object in our solar system and everything in our solar system revolves around the sun. The Earth is more massive than the Moon, and the Moon revolves around the Earth. The Earth is massive. The Earth's mass, the Earth's weight, is what draws us to the Earth. So even though the Earth is spinning at thousands of miles an hour, you and I are not getting flung out into space because of the Earth's mass. It draws us to it. The Earth is made up of atoms. I know, we're not talking about subatomic particles today either. We're going to stick with atoms. Each of those atoms has a mass. If we blew up the earth, let's not do that, but if we did into individual atoms, all of those atoms collectively would have the same mass as the earth. But each of them alone has such a minuscule amount of mass that it's not drawing anything to it. It's only all of those atoms together. Together, they have the mass. Together, they have the weight to draw people to themselves. The church, Jesus said this, when I'm lifted up, I will draw people to me. How do we lift up Jesus? Together. Together. By being one, by being in unity by walking, working, worshiping, laughing, loving, crying, together, presenting the image of God together. Now together we have the weight to draw people to that image. Together. You and I are pixels. We're atoms. Alone we got nothing. Well, we got a little tiny bit that matters when we're together. Together. Have I said together enough yet? So we've had this instruction, love one another as I have loved you. Be one praying that you're one as I am one with the Father. My glory is in you. How we've been doing this for 2,000 years since Jesus said those words. We've sucked. All right, can we just be honest? As a church, we have, we, I, there was a, was a great phrase in a movie I watched recently. Uh, we made a dog's dinner of it. No, it was an audiobook. I don't even know what that means, but it was bad. It was bad. We've made a dog's dinner of this. It was bad. 2,000 years. You know how many language groups there are in the world? How many languages there are in the world now? Over 7,000 languages in the world now. Over 7,000 languages. We're a Revelation 7-9 church. Every tongue, tribe, and nation. That word tongue means languages. So that means I love the diversity of Garfield. We are wonderful. This is such a beautiful expression of God's love and God's presence in the world and our diversity. We don't even represent a thousandth. Of the diversity of the full body of Christ, we're on the way, but we got a long way to go. Seven thousand languages in the world. Do you know how many denominations there are in the world? Christian denominations. I'm not talking about individual churches. I'm talking about collections and groups of churches who have said, because of our doctrine, we can't worship with you, because of your belief system, you can't worship with us. You can't. You know how many of the times we've gotten fussed with each other and split? There are. Depending on doing the count. 21,000 to 41,000 different Christian denominations. We have split that many times in 2,000 years. Do the math. That's what, 10,000 times a year? No, that's not right. It's a lot of times a year. I'm not going to try to do math on a live stream. I suck at that. It's a lot. 41,000 denominations. And Jesus said... My prayer is that you will be one as I am one with the Father and wa- the Father is one with me. What keeps splitting us apart? Why do we keep screwing this up so badly over and over and over and over again? I think at, at the root of every church split and every denominational split, you're going to find one of two things, usually both of them. One of the things you're going to find is Fear. Fear. People afraid. I'm going to get dirty. I'll get tainted. I'll be dragged down to hell by those people. If I let them and their ways in, I'll be dragged down to hell by those people. I'm afraid. I'm afraid for me. I'm afraid for my kids. I'm afraid for the future. What will become of us if we let them in? Fear. The other side of the leg, the other leg on this mess is arrogance. Arrogance. Not only am I afraid, why am I afraid? If I assume that those folks are going to drag me down to hell, it's because I believe that my folks have it right. We've got it figured out. Our way is the best way. We have the right beliefs. We've got the right attitudes. We've got the right culture. We've got the right way of doing things. We've got the right doctrines. We've got the right theologies. And you're just going to drag us down. You're less than. We're better than. We need to split so that you don't drag us down. Fear and arrogance. When those two team up, look out. Pain and destruction are on the way. So how are we going to do this? This vision that God has given us, if God has called us to ignite a renaissance of reconciliation that, would, that will extend throughout the world, could it be? And we've been getting it wrong for 2,000 years. What hope do we have? I think we got four things. If this is going to happen, and I believe it's going to happen, we need four things. The first thing we are going to need is love. Love. John himself said, perfect love drives out fear. Perfect love drives out fear. Chip talked a little earlier about the, in, in Revelation that you forgot to love. You forgot your early love and how that was about love for each other. I always heard that as love for God, too. I was, I was, I've always heard this one as perfect love drives out fear. I don't need to fear God's judgment because God loves me and I love God. What about this? I don't need to fear you if I love you. Come on, Scott. You don't need to fear me if I love you. Come on, Scott. Perfect love drives out fear. Perfect isn't flawless. Perfect perfect is Mature. Mature. We need love. We need love. Jesus didn't say love each other. Jesus said love each other the way I have loved you. And what did Jesus just do before? Jesus spoke those words after he'd been kneeling down on the floor, on his knees, towel around his waist, shirt off, washing his disciples' feet. Doing the job of the lowest, most menial servant in the household. Jesus did that for them all, including Judas... And then he stood up, and he wiped off his hands, and he said, love each other as I have loved you. That's the love Jesus is talking about. It's not some of the namby-pamby, frou-frou, romantic, lambs and bunnies and butterflies and skittles love. This is the love that held Jesus to the cross. This is the love, this is the love that let Jesus get down on his knees and serve, not afraid of what people would think, not afraid of what would happen to him. He knew what was going to happen to him. And he said, love as I have loved you. That brings us to the second thing. We got to have humility. We've got to have humility. If anyone in the history of the world deserved to be proud and arrogant, it was Jesus. And he got down on his knees and did the work of the lowliest servant. He was willing to hang naked on a cross to be spit upon and beaten and mocked and ridiculed because of his love for us, because our need, he put our need for reconciliation above his need for respect. Humility. We need love, we need humility. The third thing we're going to need, we're going to need commitment. We've got to be careful with commitment. Without love and humility, commitment can turn to crusading. I will destroy you because you are not committed to what I'm committed to. We've got to be committed to each other. It means we don't let go. I don't know who here is a fan of the movie Titanic out there raise your hand or dot if you're ashamed of it i understand because i hate that movie i'm sorry i set you up if you like that movie it's really okay i can't figure it out though there's the woman at the end oh i love you bye hold on to me no bye i'll cry about you and tell people why didn't she just hold on to him That's what we got to do in the church. We got to say, no matter what happens, no matter what I'm afraid of, no matter what comes against us, no matter what's driving us apart, no matter what lies are whispered, no matter what gossip is shared, no matter what hurt is done, I am not letting go. I will go down with you. We will go down. If we're going to go down, we'll go down together. One of the great fathers of the church whose name you don't even know, guy, I love his writings, Dorotheus of Gaza, said this. He said, I would rather do a thing with another and have it go wrong than do it alone and have it go right. Wow. I, I, I grew up with a better get, if you want something done right, do it yourself. I've been chewing on that statement for like 30 years now. And at first I thought, well, that's, you know, I didn't think about that. I, but it, I took a real arrogant view of it. Well, I love you so much. I'm willing to let this really important thing go bad just so you don't feel bad about not being a part of it. My problem was, is I thought the thing being done was the most important thing. Dorothea said the relationship is the most important thing together. It's more important that we do a thing together. Together. We've got to be committed to that above everything else. And the final thing we need and all the rest of it, the other three depend on this. Without this, we will, we, will, we will crash and burn with just the other three because we won't be able to sustain it. The fourth thing is this, utter dependence on the truth that this was and is what Jesus is praying for. Shame on me. Shame on me for saying to myself, how can we possibly do this? How can this possibly happen? 2,000 years we've been messing this up. How how can we possibly think we're going to get it right now? Shame on me for suggesting that the Father in heaven will not answer Jesus' prayer. Jesus is praying for this, for this mission, for this vision, for this church, and this time and this place. Jesus is praying for it. Jesus is eternal. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is still praying. And he's still praying for this. We got to lean on that and depend on that because the doubts will come, the fears will come, the temptation for division and factions will come. It will all come and we got to remember what was Jesus praying for? Oh yeah, that we would be together, that we would be one. And that by being together, that's how people will know. That's where the testimony comes from. That's where the weight and the glory come from that will draw people to God together. I got to take issue with Harry Nilsson and then I'll be done. You're like, who the heck is Harry Nilsson? There you go. One is not the loneliest number that you will ever do, it is not. Being alone is lonely. But one is not the loneliest number. Jesus who said that I am the Father, are one, and I want you to be one with me and you like God is in me and us, and we'll be one, one. The Jesus who said that, you know, the shame of the Old Testament, the key phrase of the Old Testament, the Lord, your God, the Lord is one. And that one God at the dawn of creation leaned over the mud and said, let us... Make humans in our image and after our likeness. That one God is community. That one God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, creator, sustainer, redeemer. One is not lonely. One is community. One is not solitary. One is together. Together. Our Savior calls us to be one with each other. As he is one with God, and God is one with him, and they are one with us. I'm just wrapping things up here. We forgot to warn you again, guys, but I'm done. Almost. I'll give enough time for the band to get out here. Our God, our God will make this happen because Jesus has prayed for it. And Jesus, who said, if you stay in me, if you stay connected with me and I'm in you, ask whatever you want and our father will give it to you. How much less? How much less will our father answer Jesus's prayer in Jesus name? Amen. Amen.